This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Ya ayyuhan nabiyu lima tuharrimu ma ahallallahu laka tabtaghi mardata azwajika wallahu ghafoorur rahim. Rabbish rahli sadri wa yassir li amri. وَحْلُ الْعُقْتَةً مِّنْ لِسَانِ يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي فَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهُ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ ثُمَّ أَمَّا بَعَدْ Once again everyone, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We are now starting section 1 of this surah. And section 1 is made up of ayat number 1 to 3. Just the first three ayat of this surah are, uh, make up section 1. Allah Azza wa Jal says, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِي I'll give a rough translation first. Prophet, addressing him directly. Uh, you can say noble prophet because that الْهَاءُ uh, some say that when you say ayyuha, it can have multiple meanings. One of them can be for honoring. So noble prophet. Why do you prohibit what Allah has made permissible? Uh, actually, what Allah has made permissible for you. Uh, pursuing the contentment and pursuing the satisfaction of your spouses. Wallahu ghafoorur rahim. While Allah is extremely forgiving, always loving and caring. We're going to discuss a lot of things about this ayah. The first thing I want to talk to you about is the use of Ya Ayyuhan Nabi. The Prophet ﷺ, of course, his name is Muhammad. His uh, other name is also mentioned as Ahmad in the Quran, in Surah Al-Saf. But in the Quran, Allah never calls him Ya Muhammad. Nor does He ever call him Ya Ahmad. Actually, Allah says, Ya Adam. You'll find other prophets called directly by their name. Ya Ibrahim, ya, like, I, like I said before. But you know, you don't find Ya Muhammad in the Quran. On the contrary, uh, there's a narration that has to do with another Madani surah, Surah Al-Hujurat, which we'll do soon, inshallah, where some Bedouins came and said, Ya Muhammad, ukhruj alayna. They came to the Prophet's apartment and said, Muhammad, come out, we want to talk to you. Which is not much different from Ya Dawood, Ya Musa, Ya Isa, Ya Zakariya, Ya Adam. And yet that Ya Muhammad was so offensive to Allah, he said, أَنْتَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالُكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ You know, لَا تَجْهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ كَجَهْرِ بَعْضِكُمْ لِبَعْضِ Don't you call him like you call each other. All of your good deeds will be taken away and you won't even know. You didn't curse him. You didn't talk down to him. You just called him by his name. Just you said, Ya Muhammad. And that was enough. That was enough. So there's a sensitivity in the Qur'an towards the Prophet ﷺ and how he should be addressed. And this is part of the, the honor and the nobility granted and afforded to our Messenger ﷺ. So when Allah Himself addresses him, He says, Ya ayyuhal Rasul, Ya ayyuhal Nabi, Messenger, Prophet, O Messenger, O Prophet, Ya ayyuhal Muzammil, Ya ayyuhal Muddathir. You know, He'll give him these names, but He'll never say Ya Muhammad or Ya Ahmad. That never happens in the Qur'an. And interestingly enough, even if He uses the word Muhammad, He titles it. So four times Muhammad occurs, right? And all four times, three out of four times actually, he says, Muhammadun Rasulullah walladhina ma'ahu. Ma kana Muhammadun aba ahadim min rijalikum walakin Rasulullah. Wa mubashirun bi rasulin ya'ti min ba'd ismuhu Ahmad. What word do you, even if you don't know the Arabic, what two words do you keep hearing? Muhammad, Rasul, Muhammad, Rasul, Muhammad, Rasul. And uh, so over and over and over again, except one case. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا صَالِحَاتُ وَآمَنُوا بِمَا نُزِلَ عَلَى مُحَمَّدٍ وَهُوَ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ Surah Muhammad itself. And that's actually purposefully because there were people in, in Medina who were hypocrites 
who actually wanted only to recognize him as a messenger but not as a person. In other words, he's only valuable when he gives us Qur'an, otherwise he has no value. And Surah Muhammad came to highlight that he has value even when he's not giving you Qur'an. So Allah refused to use the word Rasul when he wanted to highlight Muhammad just for his own sake. So that's actually done purposely in Surah Muhammad. But even then, مَا نُزِّلَ عَلَى Muhammad, What was sent down upon Muhammad, meaning revelations implied anyway. Even then it's suggested. So the first thing is Ya Ayyuhal Nabi. The second thing I want to tell you is the difference between the use of Ya Ayyuhal Rasul, Messenger, versus Ya Ayyuhal Nabi, Prophet. The word Nabi comes from the word Naba, which means news, information. And you'll find that this is actually the more generic usage of the word for a Prophet. Because he receives news from Allah that others don't have. When the word Rasul is used, it's actually used in the context of the Messenger having a responsibility to deliver a particular message to a group of people. In the case of our Prophet ﷺ, you'll find that whenever Allah wants to highlight His superior status among people, He'll actually use the word Nabi. Nabi is actually a privilege. On the other hand, when He highlights the responsibilities of the Prophet ﷺ, and He highlights his, the task that He's been loaded with, you'll find Rasul. Ya ayyuhar Rasul, balligh ma'unzila ilayka min rabbik. Spread what has been given to you. But if he's, if he's to use his status as the Prophet among the people to give a certain message, then Nabi is used. You'll also find that in this particular surah, there's a literary function of the use of the word Nabi. I told you the word Nabi comes from the word Naba, news. And there's going to be a lot of discussion about where did the news come from? Where did you get this news from? Which is going to be part of the story in this surah. And so that, that's why the word Nabi is also appropriate in how the Prophet is addressed. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. By the way, when the surah begins with Ya Ayyuhan Nabi, Prophet, directly like that. Now what does that tell you? It tells you that obviously this surah is going to have something special to do with the Prophet's personal life, or something very direct with the Prophet ﷺ. It gets your mindset it ready to, that we're going to learn something about our Messenger ﷺ in this surah. Right? Allah will comment on our Prophet personally in this surah. From the very beginning. Because the opening ayat of a surah basically set the tone for the rest of a surah. Now, في هذا الاستفهام دعوة للنبي من ربه أن يرفق بنفسه بدلا من الأمر وليس عتابا ولا لواما ولا لوما كما ذهب ذلك إلى ذلك بعض المفسرين. I agree with this commentary of Ibn Ashur رحمه الله who says that Allah asked him why do you prohibit what Allah has made permissible? This is a question, isn't it? Why do you prohibit what Allah has made permissible? Is a question. Uh, you could also make it into a prohibition. Don't prohibit what Allah has made permissible. لا تحرم ما أحل الله لك Isn't it? But why? what's the difference between asking a question and making a reprimand? Asking a question can actually be much more subtle, softer. And it could actually be, he interprets this as, I'll make it simple for you, take it easy on yourself. Why are you making so much haram on yourself when Allah has made halal? It's actually not reprimand. He's saying it's not itab, it's not lawam. It's actually tarfiq from Allah. It's actually making things soft and easy from Allah to the Prophet ﷺ. Allah is telling His Messenger, you're being too hard on yourself. And we're going to explore that a little further. Those who do say that it is him being corrected or him being you know, uh, scolded, ma'adullah. Like Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah says this very eloquently. He says, وَالصَّحِيحُ أَنَّهُ مُعَاتَبَةٌ عَلَى تَرْكِ الْأَوْلَى وَأَنَّهُ لَمْ تَكُنْ لَهُ صَغِيرًا وَلَا كَبِيرًا You know, when, when do you get corrected? When you do a mistake. Right? which in the religious sense is a sin. When you make a mistake before Allah, you've done a sin. 
Now you get into a problem if the Prophet committed a sin, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's not the case. So he says actually, when Allah corrects him, it's tarkul awla, which means there was a better way to do things. This was good, there was better. And then when the Prophet ﷺ is corrected, it's not right versus wrong, it's good versus better. That's all this is, this is not a small sin or a big sin. We don't attribute either of those to our beloved Messenger Harrama. Now, now the other thing, لِمَا تُحَرِّمُ Why do you prohibit? Who did he, what did he prohibit? Do you remember in the narration? He prohibited honey. On who? On the Ummah or on himself? Okay. But Allah did not say, لِمَا تُحَرِّمُوا عَلَىٰ نَفْسِكْ مَا حَلَ اللَّهُ لَكْ Why do you prohibit upon yourself what Allah made permissible? He simply said, why do you prohibit? And He excluded the language upon yourself. This is language that's used elsewhere by Jacob, by Yaqub alayhi salam. إِلَّا مَا حَرَّمَ إِسْرَائِيلُ عَلَىٰ نَفْسِهِ عَلَىٰ نَفْسِهِ All kinds of food was permissible for Jacob, for Yaqub except what he prohibited upon himself. He didn't like camel meat. Yaqub didn't like camel meat. So he didn't eat it. Like somebody offered him chicken versus camel, he said, no thanks, I'll have the chicken. This is harrama ala nafsihi. You know, in our culture nowadays, when you say haram, what does it mean? Forbidden by God. But in old Arabic, and in the language of the Qur'an, haram actually is contextual. You can say haram is also what I don't like to do. For example, if I was living 1400 years ago, I could get away with saying, tea, coffee, and cappuccino is haram on me. They're haram on me. That doesn't mean that I give a fatwa that they're haram, or I'm in trouble with Allah, it's just I don't like them. I, don't, I, don't, I, I avoid them. Okay, I'm into chocolate milk or something. That would actually, literally the language for that would be haram. Nowadays, because Muslim culture has been fossilized for so long, when we use the word haram, we usually mean something prohibited by Allah, right? But that's not the meaning here. He didn't say that it's haram by Allah. He just said, I'm not going to have it anymore. But so the meaning isn't, why do you make haram? I don't like that transition. Why do you make impermissible? Why do you prohibit yourself? And actually, again, I, I, I shouldn't say yourself, because Allah removed those words. And we have to explore why. The thing is, when the Prophet ﷺ prohibits something, in his personal life, he was actually very cognizant of the fact that this will have ramifications on the entire ummah. They are obsessed with him ﷺ. They will want to do everything the way he did. They will eat what he wants to eat. They will ignore what he wants to ignore. They will dress like he would dress. They would talk like he would talk. They would walk like he would walk. So Allah is making it clear to him also. Not only was the messenger clear. Now I already know that the messenger was clear about this. How do I know that? Because he told his wife what? Don't tell anybody. There's no reason to keep such a trivial thing hidden unless he knows there are ramifications. Allah reinforces that by saying, when you prohibit, know that the prohibit, prohibition is not just towards yourself. That's why ala nafsika is not here. It's not just limited to yourself. You'll be limiting honey from yourself, those who love you in this generation, and the generation after, and the generation after, and there will actually be believers from now until the day of judgment, who as soon as they're about to take a, a, like a little lick of honey, and somebody says, عن عمر رضي الله تعالى عنه قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لن أعود له I'm not gonna have honey ever again. 
any believer with any ounce of love for the Prophet ﷺ will put the honey right back. My messenger didn't have it. He swore he won't have it. <laughs> he swore he won't have it. And honey is something Qur'an says, وَفِيهِ شِفَاءٌ لِلنَّاسِ It has healing for people. It has healing for people. And then there would be a debate in the ummah, is that ayah mansukh because of the practice of the Prophet ﷺ. And then there would be ikhtilafatul fuqaha. And oh my God. All because he just told his wife, it's okay, I won't have honey. <laughs> Do you understand the high profile position he's in? Like the little things he does, how they become a big deal? How books would have been written about this? There would have been volumes written on honey. Al-Asal fi Sunnatin Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And there would have been chapters and discussions and then there would have been rad and the rad of the rad and then my God. And we are a fifth of the world's population. Which means much of the honey produced in the world is produced by Muslims. And that wouldn't be produced anymore. We just collapse that entire industry just by ourselves. The world would look different because the Prophet ﷺ told his wife, I won't have honey. <laughs> this is heavy stuff. The Prophet is being taught, your actions have very, very major ramifications. But there's another very subtle lesson here. And the subtle lesson is that the ummah, look, this word got out. Like, the secret, if had it been kept, these ayat wouldn't have come, right? Which means the Prophet would not have had honey again. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, the Prophet would not have had honey again, and the secret would have been maintained. The thing of it is, even now that we know that he made that oath, we could only understand the words of the Prophet ﷺ because we know the entire backstory. Isn't that the case? If you only knew, the Prophet said to his wife, I will never have honey again. And it's all you had. That's all you had. Wouldn't your conclusion be that honey is at least haram or makruh or something? So what I'm trying to say is, the ummah, Allah knew, the ummah, in a large like population, is going to be susceptible to making conclusions without understanding context. That this ummah is not going to be prepared to reach conclusions after thinking through what was the full story, what was going on in the background without, without, before jumping to a conclusion. Their love and zeal of obeying the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is so intense that when they hear a hadith, when they hear something the Prophet ﷺ did, they don't want to know what the background was, they just want to do it. Does that tendency still exist? Yes. And that tendency can lead someone to very wrong conclusions out of love of the Prophet ﷺ. You understand? So that's one of the other ramifications of this. It's huge. It's huge. Sometimes somebody will quote a hadith. And they won't tell you what happened in the background. They won't tell you. And if you know the background, it's a completely different story. It's totally, totally different. And both sides are actually taking their action out of love of the Prophet ﷺ. But this tendency had to be avoided. This tendency has to be taken care of. So the first step of that is that words that are said by the Prophet ﷺ should not be spread carelessly, without context. They shouldn't be. 
And the first prohibition of that came to even the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, even you cannot share a hadith of the Prophet, because people aren't mature enough to understand the context. Even companions won't understand the context. You understand what I'm saying here? This is pretty heavy. Like, I'll tell you a personal position of my own. When it comes to a hadith, there are different kinds of hadith in my estimation. I look at things from, I try to look at things from a systematic point of view. There are a hadith about dua for entering the house, dua for going into the bathroom, dua for changing your clothes, dua, dua, dua. There's beautiful volumes of hadith just on dua. There are hadith of the Prophet about the virtues of doing something. If you do this, you get this many reward. If you do that, you get that many rewards. There's a huge volume of collection of hadith dealing with that subject, yes? Then there are hadith about incidents. Badr, Uhud, this incident, that incident. There are hadith about incidents. If you want to understand them, you have to understand the full incident. Not just that quote. Because one sentence, one sound bite out of the entire story will lead you to the wrong conclusion. You need a lot of context. The dua for entering the house, do I need a lot of context or no? No, I just know the, that's the dua to enter the house. Done, I'm done. No problem. Some things the Prophet ﷺ said are easy lesson. Some things he said are very contextual. Now sometimes there are matters of prohibition. Do this, don't do this. Say this, don't say that. When he says those things, are those contextual? Absolutely. Is there a particular situation where he said something to a particular person? Yes. And if you don't understand the specifics of the situation, you might come away with the wrong conclusions. Famous example, that nasheed I heard when I was, uh, for so many years. Nasheeds, I, I'm allergic to them, but still. Who next? Your mother. Who next? Your mother. Who next? Oh, your mother. Oh, and then perhaps maybe if you have time, your father. Inspired by a hadith of the Prophet by the way. Who should I be the best to? Your mother. Who? Your mother. Who? Your mother. Who? Then who? Your father. The Prophet is actually talking to a person who's not good to his mother. He knows he's not good to his mother. So he says, you should be good to your mom. He doesn't want to hear that. So he says, who? Who after that? He says, your mother. You're not getting it. You're not paying attention to the first thing I told you. He still says, who next? Your mom. Who next? Fine, you don't want to listen? At least be good to your dad. At least be good to your dad. The Prophet ﷺ can diagnose people when they walk up to him. So when they ask him for a prescription, then he gives them what they need. You know, when you say, who should I be the best to? He should have said, the Messenger of Allah. You should be the best to the Prophet. Is the Prophet ﷺ more dearer to us than our parents? Yes or no? He is. But he diagnosed this guy, and he sees that he has no problem honoring the Messenger of Allah. He has a problem honoring his mom. He needs to hear that. That's a context. People come to the Prophet ﷺ and say, tell me something that will take me into Jannah. He'll give them an answer. Some other guy walks in and says, tell me something that will take me into Jannah. He'll give them a completely different answer. What are they, two different ways to go to Jannah? No, he diagnosed them. You, your Jannah this way. Your Jannah this way. That's context. That's the, one of the most valuable lessons we get out of this first ayah. Is the value of context. Anyhow, let's keep going. First of all, he didn't say, don't you, you don't, why do you prohibit upon yourself? Remember that? But when he said, ma ahalallah, 
what Allah made permissible, He didn't leave it open. He said, مَا حَلَّ اللَّهُ لَكَ So He's not عَلَى نَفْسِكَ on the other side, but لَكَ on this side, what Allah has made permissible for you. And in doing so, Allah has highlighted something. Allah has highlighted that He doesn't go, Allah doesn't go out of His way to prohibit, but He does go out of His way to make halal. Allah goes out of His way to make things open for you. To open the doors of halal for you. خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا He created in your favor, whatever, for you, for your benefit, whatever He put on this earth, altogether. Actually, He describes Himself, يُحَرِّمُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْخَبَائِثِ He made only the filthy things impermissible for you. Everything else He just opened up. You know, in Islam, we don't actually ask the question, is this halal? We're really into that question nowadays, is this halal? Because the default position, the favor of Allah on us, is that He actually made the world, what? Halal. You know, He opened that door up for us. And He only took filthy, vile things, and made them impermissible. So that's in Halallahu Lak. And by the way, Lakah also suggests that these op- this open prohibition, that we, or the open permissibility that we enjoy, the world of halal that we enjoy, is actually first and foremost a grant given to our Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Laka, ahalallahu laka. Another implication of that is that there are certain things that are made permissible for the Prophet that are not permissible for us. There are certain things, like for example, number of wives. The permissibility for the Prophet is different than the permissibility for the Muslim, for the regular Muslim. So there are certain things that Allah has opened the door for, for the Rasul that He hasn't opened for us. And by the way, like some ulama would even go on to say, لِأَنَّ تَنَاوُلَهُ شُكْرٌ لِلَّهِ إِلَيْهِ Why would you stop yourself from enjoying what Allah made halal for you? Because when you enjoy what Allah made halal for you, you become grateful to Allah. That's your way of showing gratitude to Allah. You acknowledge that Allah has done you a favor. Why would you block a pathway to gratitude? So don't block yourself, like you're not more religious by making more things haram on yourself. Which is a sick mindset by the way. There's a sick religious mindset that is programmed to think, the only way I have more taqwa of Allah is if I have a haram gun with me and I just haram everything. And the more things that are haram, the more religious I am. What religion is that? I don't know. Look at the word ma in this ayah. لِمَا تُحَرِّمُوا مَا أَحَلَ اللَّهُ لَكَ The word ma means whatever Allah made permissible. The word ma they say in Arabic is mubham, it's open-ended. This is, the word itself illustrates how boundless halal is. Because if the halal was specific, you know what he would have said? الَّذِي أَحَلَ اللَّهُ لَكَ That would have, you know, لَكَانَ لَهُ قَيْد It would have been limited, but Allah opened it up. Then he says about the Prophet, it's so beautiful. You know, if you, if you look at this story, again, I keep asking you the same question because I want you to stay active uh, in your thoughts. What did he prohibit on himself? Honey. That's what he prohibited on himself. One thing. But Allah says, لِمَا تُحَرِّمُوا مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهُ لَكَ Why do you continually pro- pro- prohibit what Allah has made permissible? In other words, this is not just حَرَّمْتَ what, Why did you make prohibited what Allah has made permissible? This is a tendency of the Prophet ﷺ that is being described. You actually, for some reason, which we will see in a second, you seem to hold yourself back from things that you shouldn't hold yourself back from. You, there are things Allah has made for you, luxuries Allah has made for you, conveniences Allah has made for you, that you seem to not take full advantage of. You seem to have this tendency. It's not just one behavior. This one behavior was the excuse for this ayah to come down.
like Dr. Akram Nadwi pro- properly put, you know, Hassan Ali Nadwi said this before, these narrations are not the reason for which revelation came. These narrations are the excuse to solve a larger problem. Like there's simply an occasion that allowed for a timeless guidance to be sent about something. This is what the Quran itself says. You know, Allah says, وَقُرْآنًا فَرَقْنَاهُ لِتَقْرَأَهُ عَلَى النَّاسِ عَلَى مُكْثٍ Quran, we separated it so you can read it onto people at the right anticipated occasion. So Allah creates these occasions so universal guidance can come down. So this tendency of the Prophet will be talked about inshallah ta'ala. Why, why does he prohibit this again? Why did he say, I won't have honey anymore? He said he won't have honey anymore to make his spouse happy. But look at the language. I love this, this phrase. Oh my God. You pursue the contentment or the satisfaction of your wives. You pursue the contentment of your wives. But the story was about one wife. All of his wives didn't come and say, you smell like this. One of them did. Two of them had made a scheme, but only one of them said, because they said, whichever one he comes to will say it. So the, the language should have been, you are in pursuit of making your wife happy. But he says, you are in pursuit of making your wives happy. You want to satisfy your wives. What is Allah telling him? You actually, this is not a one-time incident. You have a tendency to do stuff for your wives. You keep doing, you keep bending backwards and backwards and backwards to make them happy. Here we have to pause and really look at it, uh, this very deeply. You know, I'll get into the language of it in a second. But... Uh, Love, the relationship of love, whether it's parental or siblings or the spousal relationship, love can often lead to some kind of pressure. One party putting pressure on the other. If you love me, you will do this. If you love me, you won't do that. I can't do this, he hates it. I can't do that, she hates it. And sometimes those things have nothing to do with what Allah prohibited. It's just you're not comfortable with something. You don't like it. Now, I'll give you silly examples to get the point across. I mean, we here have the example of honey, but there was, a, there was something behind the honey, wasn't it? it wasn't, honey wasn't the problem. Something else was the problem. What we're learning sometimes is people on the outside say, I don't like you doing this. But if you dig a little deeper, there's actually a deeper psychological issue. Here the deeper psychological issue is actually jealousy, insecurity. There's a deeper issue here, right? So some uh, uh, wife says to the husband, I don't like it. I don't like when you go out to dinner with your friends. I know you only go once a year. I don't like it though. I hate it. I feel like you're abandoning the family. Okay, I won't go. Now is that completely normal for the guy to go to dinner with his friends? Completely mundane? Harmless? Does it actually take anything away from the family? No. It doesn't. But she hates it. And he knows if he goes, then he's going to get the silent treatment for like a month. He's going to forget this Layla, Layla, Nahari la Layl, forget that. Shahran. Right? He's going to get that, so he doesn't go. Now, what happens over time? What happens over time is there are some things that human beings want. It doesn't take anything away from the relationship, but they're only holding themselves back because the other is uncomfortable. And the frustration of not being able to live up or, or to enjoy this thing that Allah has made completely acceptable for you, 
and you're only making it haram on yourself for your loved one, that frustration keeps building inside. It doesn't go away. My, the desire to have a friend doesn't go away. The desire to do sim- these simple things, they, they don't go away. But they simply, you're only denying yourself because of this pressure from this loved one. And as that pressure mounts, you start developing a resentment towards your loved one. I'm only denying myself this because he doesn't want it, because she doesn't want it, because my parents don't want it. It's completely permissible. And the only reason they don't want it is, I, I don't even know why they don't want it. I don't even know why they keep saying no. I don't even know why she hates it. I don't even know why he hates it. You can't even tell. But that's because maybe you didn't dig deep enough. There's something else going on that needed to be addressed. Something deeper needed to be addressed. You know? And so as a result of that, eventually you get an explosion. People fall apart. When you close the doors of halal, you keep closing them, and you keep closing them, and you, on yourself. Guess which door starts opening up? The doors of haram. When you close the doors of halal, the, clo- the doors of haram start opening up. And you out of pressure from the spouse, say this door is permanently closed, and you start, out of that frustration, you stop even fearing Allah, and the door that Allah closed, you're willing to open. But the door that your spouse or your parent or your child or your brother or your uncle, the one they closed, you're not willing to open. Because you don't want to take get into conflict with them. You'd rather conflict with Allah. That's what ends up happening to people. That's a scary situation to be in. Now let's step back and think about this another way. This is important to understand. Different people have different jobs. And some people have very important jobs. Somebody's the head of a hospital. Lives depend on them, surgeries depend on them, schedules depend on them. Somebody's head of air traffic control at the airport. You know, they have heavy, heavy responsibilities. Somebody's the governor of a city, or the chief of police, or the president of a country, right? Or the general of a military in the middle of a war. These are high pressure jobs, yes or no? When you have a high pressure job, it takes a lot of time away from home, does it not? Because the more high pressure your job is, the more you work, you have to put work into your job. And of course, the more work you put in here, the less work you can put in there. That's just logical. So you'll find the most important people in the world that do big, 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 big things are basically always working. And you wonder, when do they have time for what? When do they have time for their families? How are they going to make time for their families? The Prophet ﷺ has a there's nobody who has a bigger job than the Prophet ﷺ. In 23 years, he has to communicate in speech and in practice the final revelation of God to humanity. There is no bigger job. And he doesn't even know if he has 23 years, by the way. We can look back and say he has 23 years. He doesn't know that. The mount, the pressure on him is... I mean, just look at Surah Al-Hashr. لَوْ أَنزَلَ الْقُرْآنَ عَلَىٰ جَبَلٍ لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشِعًا مُتَصَدِّعًا مِنْ خَشْيَةِ اللَّهِ Had we revealed the Qur'an on a mountain, it would have exploded. A mountain would have collapsed and exploded with the weight of the Qur'an. Yet, إِنَّا سَنُلْقِيَ عَلَيْكَ قَوْلًا ثَقِيلًا We've dropped on you a heavy word, the Prophet ﷺ. He's to carry what a mountain can't. So when you say, I have mountains of pressure on me, you don't know what you're talking about. That's mountains of pressure. So when he has that kind of pressure on him, and just look at, just think about his life in Medina. 
What kind of problems does he have to deal with? He's got the hypocrite problem. He's got the Jewish tribes scheming with the Quraysh. The Quraysh are now making alliances with different tribes and Ahzab is around the corner. He's got revelation that's coming down. He's got believers he has to train. And by the way, he's also the Imam of the Masjid, yes? If you ever know the Imam of a Masjid, you should know something about them. Everybody come to them with their problems, man. And if they're soft-hearted, the problem becomes their problem. Is the Prophet ﷺ soft-hearted? بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَعُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ You give everyone time, you listen to everybody's story, everybody says they feel the most important with him. You know how draining that is? The Prophet ﷺ is constantly being drained. <coughs> constantly being drained. And on top of all of this, his wives, some of them, are jealous that he's spending a little too much time somewhere else. So they're making this whole honey thing happen. When you're under that much pressure, where do you need to have peace? At home. When you start getting drama at home, even if it's a tiny little bit of you, it smells like herbs. Little tiny drama. The one place where you can just relax, لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا So you can stop moving around and be, I can, be, I can relax. I can be myself. Even the Messenger of Allah وسلم, needs a place where he can relax. He needs a time where he can relax. What is his relaxation? The time he has with his family. The time he has at home. If he can't find that there, and drama starts over there, then he will not have the energy, the, 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 the enthusiasm, the strength to do what he needs to do outside. And what he needs to do outside is way, way, way too big. So the Prophet ﷺ, his, his peace at home, and his happiness at home, and his relaxation at home, and no pressure for him at home, has to be protected, and it's protected by Allah. Why do you prohibit what Allah made permissible for you? You need to keep things permissible for you at home and not feel pressure because of this pleasure or that pleasure. The only pleasure you need to worry about is Allah's because you have a bigger task than anybody else in humanity. You understand? That's the pressure he's under, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So now, something about it's so beautiful. Lam yaqul subhanahu ya ayyuhannabi limatabtaghi mardata azwajik. Prophet, why do you Try to make your wives happy. Why do you pursue the satisfaction of your spouses? Why did he say that? Why didn't Allah just say that? Because Allah actually in this ayah prohibited one thing and not the other. Allah reprimanded or Allah corrected that you shouldn't put limits on yourself, restrict yourself from things Allah didn't restrict you from. But actually trying to make your spouses happy is a great sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So there's a healthy way of making your loved one happy, and there's an unhealthy way. Make your spouse happy. Just don't make, the, make them happy by denying yourself from what Allah has made halal, from what Allah has made permissible. Don't deny yourself to make someone else happy. Don't put yourself in misery to make someone else happy. It'll backfire. You're human. It's not gonna last. You're gonna snap eventually. And then people will say, oh, he's, she snapped, he snapped. I don't know what happened to them. What's wrong? Nothing's wrong. You're just human. 
You put an unreasonable condition on yourself. Like Allah says about the monks in Christianity, فَمَا رَعُوهَا حَقَّ رِعَيَتِهَا They weren't able to live up to the unreasonable expectations they put on themselves. Human beings are human beings. You know, by the way, the things Allah has made halal for us are also things Allah made desirable for us. He put an inclination inside of us to want those things. And when you can't have those things, something goes wrong inside you. If you only eat bad tasting food, you're gonna be in a bad mood. It's gonna affect your personality. It's gonna happen. If you're never around your friends who you miss all the time, you're gonna be a miserable person. <clears throat> it's gonna reflect on your work. It's gonna reflect on your demeanor. It's gonna affect you. And, and human beings are just weird mix of things. You can't just say, I'm doing bad emotionally, but I'm doing great spiritually. Everything's connected. If you're doing bad physically, it's gonna affect your emotions, it's gonna affect your spirituality. Everything's connected. The things Allah has made permissible are things that, are, that are fulfill our emotional needs, that fulfill our physical needs, that fulfill our appetites, that fulfill our spiritual needs. There's, all these needs are taken care of at the same time. You're going to just mess yourself up if you put yourself in that situation. And the, the Prophet ﷺ, we begin with him. We begin with him. I want to give you a, a, a grammatical example before I deal with the subject matter, because it's a little bit technical. I'll give you two English sentences and compare the two of them, okay? He stood up out of respect. The first sentence is, he stood up out of respect. And the second sentence is, he, he stood up re respectfully. So the first one was, he stood up out of respect. And the second one is, he stood up respectfully. Now these in their meaning are worlds apart. In the first case, when you say he stood up out of respect, what is the reason for which he stood up? Respect. So actually, the phrase out of respect tells you his rationale behind doing something. Isn't that the case? But when you say he stood up respectfully, you're not describing why he stood up. You're actually describing how he stood up. How he did it. You understand that? Now that when you, when you answer the question why, this is the Arabic now, when you answer the question why, that's illa. That's called illa. And when you answer the question how, that's called hal. Why and how are totally different. If you read this translation, why do you prohibit what Allah has made permissible upon you? Or for you? Pursuing the contentment of your spouses. Pursuing the satisfaction of your spouses. You might misconstrue this to mean, you do this because you pursue the contentment of your spouses. It might sound like that's the reason for which you do it. But actually, if that was the case, the language would have been, لِمَا تُحَرِّمُوا مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهُ لَكَ إِبْتِغَاءَ مَرْضَاتِ أَزْوَاجِكَ The word would have been إِبْتِغَاءَ But the Arabic word here is تَبْتَغِي It's the mudari' form. The mudari' actually here is حَال Which means, Allah is describing a beautiful quality of the Prophet ﷺ Not why you do it. The Prophet is way too mature to know that even if I don't stop drinking, if I stop drinking honey, that's not gonna make them any happier. He's way too wise to know there's something much deeper going on. It's actually just in that spur of the moment, for now, I am going to calm this situation down and the way in which I will deal with it is the, is the how. Out in, in a way that will make them happy. So it's not the rationale of the Prophet ﷺ, but rather the way in which he made the spouses happy, that's beautified here. SubhanAllah. I know that's a subtle thing to understand, but I'll, I'll say it another way. The Prophet ﷺ comes in, the wife says, that smells weird. And he very gently and very lovingly says, I'll never have it again. He doesn't say, Wallahi, la ahlifanna, la lan... 
you know, atanawal al-asala abadan fi hayati. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. Just gently and lovingly. The way in which he did it is actually beautified in the Quran. It's hal. Why, do we, what, why is that important to note? Sometimes we do things for our loved ones, but we don't do them in a very loving way. I even bought you flowers. <laughs> yeah, but you did it the way, the, you know, the, the reason, because I love you. Yes, your, your illa was good. Your reason was good. But the hal, the way you did it was horrible. That's not how you give flowers. You stabbed her with the stem. <laughs> That's not how you do it. Okay, I'm going to take you out to dinner. And you're like angry the whole drive. I'm doing this for you, you know. You know what? I would really rather you didn't do it. I'd really rather you didn't do it. Because the way in which you're doing it is far worse. I would have been better just depressed at home than fearful of the next outburst in the car. You understand? The, the beauty of the Prophet's character is not just, we do things out of love, but the, the ayah highlights, you do things in a loving way. The way in which you do something. Subhanallah. Tabtaghi mardata azwajik. Such a deep, deep lesson. You're gonna do things, there are broken relationships in which people do things for each other. But they do them in terrible ways. You know I did that for you? Really? It hurt like crazy. You did that for me? I couldn't tell. You know? Because you just turn into the Hulk. And then I don't know what to do with that. So this is the Tabtaghi Mardata Azwajik. Now a little bit, a few more subtleties inshallah. I'll, I'll stop at this ayah, because this ayah by itself is too epic, so we can't go any further. But there are, there are a few more things to teach you guys about, about this. First of all, Allah made it plural. Even though the narration from Bukhari, Muslim, makes it abundantly clear that this was about one wife. I said this before to you. You know in this, what Allah has done? Allah has actually made uh, her a secret. Allah didn't expose her. The narration exposes her. But Allah doesn't. The Qur'an doesn't expose her. And that by the way is not even a hadith. It's a narration of Umar. And why is that okay? Because that's his daughter, right? So a father can talk about his daughter a certain way. But she is the mother of the believers, is she not? And so she should be spoken about respectfully. And if she's done something that deserves reprimand, then we should cover for her. And you know who teaches us how to cover for her? Allah Himself. Because He covered for her by including all of the spouses, not just her. You did this, you're doing this in pursuit of, you know, or you did this pursuing the, the, the contentment of all your spouses. He kind of put her in a group and didn't let her get singled out. This is a very important lesson for us. Loved ones should not be reprimanded, should not be highlighted, we should cover for them. Allah covers for her, radiallahu ta'ala anha. This is actually the internal conflict I was having. As I studied these ayat, I realized that Allah covered for our mothers in so many ways. He doesn't want us to know about the honey, actually. He didn't. He didn't want us to know about the secret, what it was. He didn't want us to know what it is that the Prophet made prohibited, and what he made halal. He didn't want us... To, by the way, if he wanted to tell us about honey, could he tell us about honey? Nobody's more abian than Allah. 
Nobody's clear in speech than Allah. But is he keeping things ambiguous? He's purposely hiding the situation. And that itself is huge guidance. It's huge guidance. Why expose something Allah has kept hidden? And then on the other hand, my conflict was, but this hadith is in Bukhari. It's narrated by Umar radiallahu anhu. How can I hide hadith? So you gotta share this hadith. But then I imagine, you know the conflict I had? The conflict I had was, imagine Hafsa radiallahu anha is sitting in the audience. And I'm talking about her having a secret conversation with my mother Aisha radiallahu anha. And then they got caught. And then ayat came down. Would she feel good about that? Would you feel good a speech being given about you? And they're our mother. They deserve better, don't they? They deserve way better. So this is a conflict. This is a very real conflict. We are, be, be in no doubt about it. They are our mothers. I'm talking about my mother. How comfortable am I talking about my mother in this way? She, and she's more than my mother. Radiallahu ta'ala anha. So to me, how, did I, how was I able to reconcile this problem? To me, actually, then I realized something. I realized that Allah Azza wa Jal reprimands His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa on a number of occasions. And I have to talk about it. And even though I love my mother, and I honor her, and honor her, and honor her, I can't even begin to compare how much I honor who? Our Messenger, And do we have to declare and, and study when he's reprimanded? Allah put them, are the most noble of creatures on this earth. These noble role models for us, He put them in those embarrassing personal situations so you and I will learn never to put others in those situations again. They pay the price so we don't put others in that, in that bus. That's the, that's the lesson here. We begrudgingly, reluctantly have to study عَبَسَ وَتَوَلَّى أَنْ جَاءَهُ الْأَعْمَى We have to study it. We have to study عَفَ اللَّهُ عَنْكَ لِمَا أَذِنْتَ لَهُمْ We have to do it. We have to study ayat of the Qur'an where the Prophet's being told. No. When the Prophet's being corrected. When the Prophet's being told, why do you prohibit what Allah made permissible? We have to study it. And that's... It's difficult. Can you imagine how difficult these ayat were for the Prophet to hear himself? I can't even imagine what the mothers of the believers were going through when they heard these ayat. Like, ayat of Qur'an about them. Ayat of Qur'an about them. And not, I mean, as you go through the ayat, you'll see, it gets, it gets serious. But then, you know, finally, wallahu ghafoorur rahim. You're in pursuit of the contentment, the satisfaction of your spouses. Uh, one more thing about azwaj, by the way. I'll give you an example. I have a student, Rahma. And I say, Rahma failed Arabic. Or Rahma made an Arabic mistake. As opposed to saying, my student made an Arabic mistake. Is there a difference between those two? When I say Rahma made an Arabic mistake, okay, well, what do you expect? It's Rahma. But if I say, my student made an Arabic mistake, what am I trying to say? As my student, I expected so much more. Isn't it? Both of them refer to the same person. But when you give the title, then that title comes with certain expectations. And those expectations have been disappointed. You understand? 
in the later ayat you'll see if that if asarra nabiyyu ila ba'di azwajihi hadithan when the prophet ﷺ gave in secret something to some of his spouses he highlights the word spouses wives why because as a wife you were expected to guard a secret more than anybody else you're supposed to pursue the contentment of your spouses you're going out of your way to make them happy and yet they didn't go out of their way to keep your secret so the word comes with expectations is what i'm trying to highlight and the the, the conclusion of this ayah wallahu ghafurur rahim while allah is exceedingly forgiving extremely forgiving always loving merciful this does two things one it ensures the prophet ﷺ that you shouldn't worry you're forgiven while i am saying all of this it's not because you're in trouble allah is already forgiven allah is forgiving and merciful the second highlight is also important there's a contrast you are doing this so your wife isn't upset with you but let me tell you the only one who truly forgives is allah and the one who truly gives unconditional love and mercy is allah so in other than allah making someone happy is very difficult please learn this lesson in life making people happy very difficult and you know what we've done unfortunately muslims we've made people believe that making allah is difficult Allah says making your spouse can be make, making your spouse happy can be difficult but I'm easy to get earn forgiveness from and I'm easy to earn love and mercy from just worry about me everything else will get sorted out subhanallah subhanallah it's so sad when people come to me especially I don't know maybe this is I've only noticed it in the subcontinent the indo-pak subcontinent people truly genuinely believing that Allah is out to get them genuinely believing that Allah is mad at them Allah is angry at them and they're just going to burn. I don't know who what shaitan taught you Islam? Cuz that's not the Allah we believe in. And it's a really evil thing that's been done to people. They're genuinely believing they're going to burn. Genuinely believing there's no hope for them. Genuinely believing they will never earn Allah's forgiveness. Subhanallah. The way people treat you and the way people judge you is not the way Allah judges. Is not the way Allah treats. May Allah Azza make us hopeful in his mercy and his forgiveness. And may Allah not put our, make us put ourselves in difficult situations. So that, that concludes our discussion on the first ayah. Barakallahu li wa lakum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.